And I want to explain just uh, what we do here in this teaching moment. Again, I realize this is the time of year when a lot of people are new and, um, and everybody does it a little bit differently. But um, the, the metaphor that we use for church at SOMA is not a business or a nonprofit. Um, we are, as in the language of 1 Timothy 3, the household of God. And as a household, we need spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, brothers and sisters, investing in the richness of our community to help raise us up to the maturity that God's called us to. And so we are called to use our gifts to serve to build up the body. Now as elders, so we have spiritual fathers, which we identify as elders. And our job, there's three of us at the moment, and our job is, one of our jobs is to oversee the doctrine of the church, the teaching of the church, to make sure that it's orthodox and, uh, and biblical. Um, so a lot of times one of us will teach. But we also have gifted uh, spiritual mothers and other brothers and sisters in the family. And when you look at, so we, we call this kind of over here Big T teaching, our responsibility to oversee the kind of the theological vision of the church. We also have what we call little, little T teaching, which is the kind of teaching that the church is invited to do with each other. If you look at Colossians, teach one another uh, with all wisdom. First Corinthians, you see everyone bringing a gift uh, of teaching, a prophecy, a word of exhortation. There's this kind of communal spirit where the body is supposed to be teaching itself. And that's not limited to, the vision there is not limited to what the elders do. It's the church building up the body in love. And so it is such a, an honor to be able to equip and then to release and give space for uh, gifted and called men and women to be able to use their gifts to teach here uh, that are not elders. And that's a regular part of our rhythm together, and we celebrate. It's not even something we tolerate. We celebrate it because it's such a gift to get a diversity of viewpoints and perspectives and seasons of life. And so... We are so honored this morning to have Robin McKinnon, uh, one of my close, Emily and I is one of our closest friends, her and Christian, deacon here on staff at our church, has been on staff for six years, which it's like dog years at SOMA. That, that's like 50 years. Um, and so, man, they've been at our church for seven years, been on staff at six. Their beautiful family here is in the front, five kids, and many spiritual children here. I know many of you have been in their home. You've received care and encouragement and discipleship, and they've been a big part of your own formation. And so, man, we just would not be where we are as a church without you, and it's such a joy to be able to, to hear and to listen and to learn, as we all do all the time, but to do that here in this space is just really a gift. And so, Robin, thank you for the preparation. We get the uh, privilege of coming alongside anybody who teaches here and just prep with them and pray with them, and it is a labor of love uh, to prepare a meal to share here on Sunday morning with us. And so thank you, but also thank you to Robin's family who all were a part of that process as well. So with that being said, um, I want to invite you into Psalm 63, where we'll be uh, teaching this morning. I'm going to read verses one through eight and then pray for us, and then Robin will come. Hear these words. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. 
I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, let me invite you to set your stuff down for just a moment. and Let's create some space for silence as we do before our teaching each week. We want to be reminded in this moment that God is present to us by his spirit. He is a good father who longs to give good gifts to his children. So let's just take a moment to anchor ourselves in the love of God. I want to invite you into your body to take a deep breath in, to breathe in, just a reminder of God's care and his concern and his loving presence in Christ by the power of the Spirit here with you in this moment. And I want to invite you to take a deep breath out and breathe out all of the cares and the concerns and the worries and the burdens that you may be bringing into this place. And just imagine placing those into the strong hands and arms of your Heavenly Father and ask him to speak to you here for just a moment and then I'll pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are God. We thank you in this moment that you seek us eagerly, that you came for us, that you sent Jesus into this world empowered by your Holy Spirit to do all that we cannot do for ourselves, to provide salvation and life and healing and the possibility of eternal life and communion and fellowship with you in your kingdom. So God, we want to eagerly seek you. Would you teach us what it looks like to build altars of prayer, to build lives of prayer that seek you intentionally and that depend on you desperately. So God, come and speak to us right now. Do all that we cannot do for ourselves. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you, as always, on Sundays. I look forward so much to the time when we can gather together as family and just come into the presence of the Lord and enjoy him together. I am super excited to be able to continue along the series that our church has been walking through in seeking God through the Psalms. So last week, Brandon talked about seeking God through Scripture, The week before, Adam talked about seeking God through beauty, and today we're going to look at Psalm 63, and we're going to look at seeking God through prayer. So the book of Psalms is a favorite in my household. My daughter Mia regularly prays through Psalm 23. My son Josh has been clinging to and meditating on promises from Psalm 34. This week, my husband and I, the first... um, The first big chunk of scripture that we ever memorized together was Psalm 1. And so Psalms are super important to us, and they also have been to the church throughout church history. The Psalms were the ancient hymnal of God's people. And so the poetry that's in the Psalms sometimes is set to music, sometimes not. 
But the Psalms are the expression of the individual poet's emotion, what they're feeling about God or to God. And so we've got different types of Psalms throughout Scripture that, that relay different feelings and thoughts regarding the psalmist's situation. I love this quote from Stanley Jackie. He writes, The Psalms illuminate the mind for the purpose of enkindling the soul, indeed to put it to fire. It may indeed be said that the purpose of the Psalms is to turn the soul into a sort of burning bush. And that is our hope for this series, that as we walk through the Psalms together as a church, our hearts will be set afire as we desire to draw closer to God. And so today we turn our attention to Psalm 63. And it's general consensus that David wrote this psalm when he was in his early 60s, and it's during a time when he was driven out of Jerusalem by his own son, who is pursuing him, looking to kill him and take the throne. So David flees, and he finds himself in the wilderness, and he pens this poem. It's a song that takes a look into David's heart and into his connection with God. And while I think it's a safe assumption to say that probably none of us in this room have ever had to flee for our lives to the wilderness, most of us in this room have experienced desperate situations that leave us feeling incredibly alone and empty. In her blog post on Thursday, and I'm going to quote from this for a few times during this morning, Ann Voskamp wrote this, Every single one of us is walking through some kind of deep heartbreak, the real-life strain. And if you look into people's eyes and ask the right tender question, there it is, a fracture of pain right up the side of their one life. Bruised relationships, draining bank accounts, weary dreams, the sheer mountains ahead of us, and who isn't a bit tired of the fight called life. This world is a broken heart factory, and here's the hope. It's full of his glory, and it's only holding both of these that you let go and you find joy. And that's precisely what we're going to see David demonstrate for us in this psalm. We see David living in the reality of deep pain. His throne in jeopardy, his life in danger, most devastating of all at the hand of his own son. And at the same time, he's living in this reality that he knows God. And he knows God is good. So let's look at verse 1, the opening words of this psalm. It opens with this simple declaration, Oh God, you are my God. It's not metaphorical. We don't have to worry about interpretation here. It's a boldness of this declaration that comes not from someone who's like a groping stranger trying to find their way to God. This is a deep, intimate cry. There's, there is this um, sign of closeness. And in the particular situation that David finds himself in when he's writing this psalm, I imagine it's like a 
guttural plea. Oh God, you are my God. Perhaps he's even declaring a truth that he doesn't necessarily feel in that moment. Have you been in those situations before? You know something is true, but you don't feel it. And so I wonder if David is crying out in this psalm to remind his heart of what his head knows. So remember, by this point in his life, David and God have been through some beautiful mountaintops and deep valleys, right? From Goliath to being made king, Bathsheba. And this is not David's first time that he's fleeing into the wilderness for his safety. And through all of that, David's depth of relationship with God is going deeper and deeper. He knows the depths of God's power, of his mercy, of his provision. And so what's interesting here is that we see in the second part of verse 1, David cries out for more of God. He's going from deep to deeper. The remainder of verse 1 paints this like intense picture of yearning in the midst of desolation. So David describes himself as in a dry and weary land. His soul's thirsting. His flesh is fainting. He feels empty, yet he's deeply, deeply yearning. His cry is like, I just want to be with you, God. Oh, God, you are my God. And this is the invitation from God to us as his children. He's inviting us into deeper relationship with him, regardless of where you are on your journey with him. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not even sure what you think about Jesus, his invitation is to deeper intimacy and relationship. If you've grown up in a Christian home and now you're an adult trying to figure out your relationship with Jesus independent of your family system, his invitation is to deeper intimacy and relationship. Maybe you've walked with him as friend and savior for 50 plus years, still the invitation, deeper intimacy and relationship. And so the question becomes then, what keeps us from pursuing deeper relationship with Jesus? What keeps us from desiring him more? Last week in his sermon, Brandon said something that really hit me. I joked that I wanted to put a slide up here and put Brandon Shields. I thought I would have a little quote of Brandon. But here's what he said. And it's so true. He said, every day our desires are being shaped and formed by a world that is against the way of Jesus. Have many of you seen the Chosen series? Yeah, so good, right? It's this, if you haven't seen it, it's a series about the life of Christ. It's free, you can stream it. It is so beautiful. But even before the show starts, I find myself welling up with emotion. Like I get this like lump in my throat because it starts with this graphic and it's got all of these gray fish that are swimming one direction. And then there's just this sporadic blue fish swimming against the masses. And this hits me because it feels like such an accurate word picture of, an accurate picture of what we often experience in our own pursuit of Christ in this day and age. We're not living in a world that encourages us towards the way of Jesus, right? For example, 
when I was a child, um, everything closed on Sunday. Businesses, shops, everything was closed. There was like this societal expectation that people would worship together, that they would have the opportunity to rest, for believers to Sabbath, eat with their family, join in community. So much more can be said about this, but it's, it's not that way anymore, is it? And so we find ourselves living in this world that's against the way of Jesus, and it creates challenges for us to wholeheartedly pursue God. And in addition, the way we design our own lives often becomes a barrier to our pursuit of Christ. So our lives are filled with busyness and distraction, false attachments, cheap substitutes, and quick fixes. In Spanish, we have, um, there, there are two verbs to capture the one verb we use in English for to know. So there's saber, which is like a head knowledge, right? Like I'm answering questions, that's saber. And then there's conocer, which is like this heart knowledge. It's to, it's to intimately know something. Many of us are settling for this saber knowledge of God, a saber connection. We know about him but we're not taking the time to know him. So how do we grow in our desire for something? Like, how do we get to this place where we cry out as David did, my soul longs for you, my body faints for you? It's really the same way that we grow in our desire and our delight for anything in our lives. We spend time, we invest energy and resources, right? So our 17-year-old Ethan has the kind of personality that he goes all in on things that capture his interest. And so this past four months or so, um, he has thrown himself into this new hobby of Frisbee golf. He's up early to play. He's checking out different courses, buying different discs, finding other people that like to play Frisbee golf. He even entered a tournament one weekend. And so Ethan's Desire to know about, delight in, and joy in Frisbee golf has gone from zero to 100 in just a matter of months. It's super simplistic, but it's true. When we set our minds on a thing or a person or an activity and we ruminate on it, it becomes important to us. And then as our connection grows, we invest more and more of ourselves, and delight begets delight. It's the same pattern with our connection to the Father. And here's the thing. For real connection, delight, intimacy to happen, you have to experience it yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. Nolan Duffy has been talking to my son, Ethan, about Frisbee golf for well over a year. And this did not ignite Ethan's desire or passion for Frisbee golf. <laughs> Ethan had to go play. He had to go experience it for himself, right? Same thing when we're seeking to attach ourselves to God. We make a decision to press in, to invest in our relationship with God. And as we experience him, our desire and our longing deepens. When we press into deepening our relationship with God, we can face life. 
both good and hard, with heavenly perspective. Look at where David turns his reflections in the midst of hard, horrible circumstances. In verses 2 through 8, David begins with this reflection on God's holiness and power. I gaze upon you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. He pours out this river of praise, like your steadfast love is better than life. And he makes promises, I will bless you. If you just look at this part of the psalm without knowing context, you could easily forget that David is writing this while his life is in danger at the hand of his own son. Think about the worst struggle you have lived. Maybe you're going through it right now. Imagine your connection and confidence in God being so deep that in the midst of the hard, you offer up these prayers of praise and of gratitude. This is what David is modeling for us in these verses. Anne Voskamp, again, she says, gratitude is an overflow of keeping eyes on him. When your eyes keep seeing gifts of grace, you're given courage to keep going. If you look at verse 5, David writes, You satisfy me as with rich foods. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. There's actually one translation that I looked at that said, You satisfy me with prime rib. <laughs> another one said, Another one said, you, my, you satisfied my soul with fat and rich foods. Um, and it made me reflect on this story about our son, who's 19 now, Josh, when he was little. He, he, we were living on the mission field in Mexico, and he loved to eat like candy and donuts, soda. And so someone said to him, these are fat foods. These are fat foods you're eating, and so you need to eat healthy foods. And so then he made the declaration, oh, no, I only like fat foods. So when I would make like broccoli and chicken, he would say, is this a fat food? And I would have to say, Yes, this is fat food. Yes, this is a fat food. So my soul will be satisfied as, as with fat and rich foods. Listen, here, you know, David's not just saying, oh, like I'm no longer hungry. No, he, in the midst of his horrible circumstances, he's reflecting on and remembering the lavishness of the Father and his comprehensive care of him. When you keep your eyes seeing gifts of grace, you're given courage to keep going. And then in verse 6, David writes, I think of you as I lie on my bed. I meditate on you in the night, during the night watches. Night watches were simply blocks of time in the night when different guards would um, patrol a town or a city. And so the nights were broken up into these night watches. That's how time was kept. And so essentially he's saying, when I'm up in the night, I am thinking about you. I am meditating on you. Because when you keep your eyes seeing gifts of grace, you're given the courage to keep going. There's a few reasons we might be up at night. Austin and Adrian shared recently with us that they've been up a lot at night with baby Ezra, right? And exhausted. So some of you are up with small children, with babies, and the invitation here is to use those midnight hours to just turn your heart to God. 
But for many of us, we find ourselves up in the night because of worry, because we're walking through really hard things. Sleep eludes us. Normally, sleep is not a problem for me. I think it's my spiritual gift. And I can sleep anywhere, and um, usually through anything. But we've been walking through a particularly intense season, and I'm finding myself up in the night watches. And I'm so grateful for the example of David here to use that time to turn to God in prayer and to meditate on him. Instead of ruminating on all that's happening and going through my list of worries and concerns and and trying to think up the ideas of how I'm going to solve all that we're facing, I wake in the night and I just keep filling that space with the repetition of the first part of verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Oh, God, you are my God. Last quote from Ann Boskamp um, in this sermon. Our Our eyes are on God because he is where we see good. You can't afford to take your eyes off of God if you're looking for help. You've got to keep your eyes on where God is if you want to see where help is. And then she says, If you don't know what to do, the relief is you don't have to. You just have to do one thing. Keep your eyes on God. So how do we respond to all that we see David model in this psalm? How do we keep our eyes on God? How do we stay connected to the beauty of God when we are living in the midst of hard? The invitation is to invest time and energy in seeking God through prayer. Paul Miller in A Praying Life says, prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. And it's interesting that the only thing that the disciples directly asked Jesus to teach them was how to pray, right? In Luke 11, we read, they say, teach us how to pray. And they did that because they saw this power in his outer life with God flowing from this inner life of prayer. They saw prayer woven into Jesus's life. And that's our invitation to weave prayer rituals into our lives. This quote from Ronald Rollheiser says, what clear rituals provide is prayer that depends on something beyond our own energy. The rituals carry us our tiredness, our inattentiveness, our indifference, and even our occasional distaste. They keep us praying even when we're too tired to muster up our own energy. Prayer has an ebb and flow. Sometimes we have this deep sense of God's reality, and sometimes we can't even imagine God exists. Sometimes we have deep feelings about God's goodness and his love, and sometimes we feel bored and distracted. If we pray faithfully every day, year in and year out, we can expect a little excitement, lots of boredom, regular temptations to check the clock. But a bond and an intimacy will be growing under the surface, a deep, growing bond with our God. I want to share with you this morning three different prayer rituals as invitations to, um, to fold them into your connection with God. 
all of these are rituals that Jesus modeled um, in the scriptures. So the first one is set prayers. So when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, he told them, pray like this. So biblical scholars say that this can be translated, recite this. And this taps into the Jewish tradition of set prayers or pre-made prayers, which are really just prayers created by other people, Jesus, in this case, for us to pray on our own. Other examples of set prayers would be the Psalms, right? Right in the middle of our Bible, we have 150 Psalms, prayers that have given language to generations of our spiritual ancestors. In fact, Psalm 63 that we're looking at today was sung on a daily basis during the morning liturgy of the Eastern Orthodox Church for years. I often turn to set prayers. Um, this one, praying scriptures for your children, has um, carried me as a mama of five over the years. And these prayers can be helpful when, when I'm exhausted or scattered or I don't know how to pray. Set prayers um, for a time in my walk with Jesus felt a little bit inauthentic. Um, but I've grown to love them as I've learned that I'm uniting my heart in prayer with the church through the years. Eugene Peterson observes, there is a prevailing bias among many American Christians against rote prayers, repeat, repeated prayers, book prayers, even when they're from the Jesus book. This is a mistake. Spontaneities offer one kind of pleasure and Taste of sanctity, repetitions, another equally pleasurable and holy. We don't have to choose between these two. We must not choose between them. They are the polarities of prayer. The repetitions of the Lord's Prayer and David's through the Psalms give us firm groundings. For the spontaneities, the flights, the explorations, the meditations, the sighs, and the groans that go into the prayer without ceasing that Paul urges us toward. I sometimes think about set prayers as really um, beautiful, powerful love songs. Like, you know when there's just a love song that just hits you, and you're like, oh, it's saying everything I want to say, <laughs> right? So when I was in high school, we used to uh, make mixed tapes for, um, at, you know, for, for a boyfriend, or maybe a boy I wanted to be my boyfriend. <laughs> And so this process, you know, it's like you put the tape into the cassette player and you sit by the radio all day and you wait for the song and then you got to hit record and then you record and then you wait for the next song and then you hit record. And so you wind up with this tape that's got all these songs and then on the outside of the tape, there's a place where you can, you know, you write whatever it says, whatever you want to name it. And so I would always, um, I would always name these um, how I feel. <laughs> it's how I feel all these songs. <laughs> That's what set prayers do for us, right? It helps us express ourselves to God. Okay, second practice, fixed hour of prayer. And so this might be a stretch practice for you. Maybe, maybe you... Um, you know, you're having regular prayer time with the Lord, you're journaling your prayers, or you use some set prayers, this might be a push then. So consider this. This is an ancient way of praying. 
In Hebrew tradition, which contains the roots of our Christian faith, there's always been a daily prayer rhythm. Morning, midday, evening, right? We read about this in the Old Testament book of Daniel. It's because Daniel would not stop kneeling three times a day, he finds himself in the lion's den, right? And the psalmist writes in Psalm 55, as for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Jesus himself observed a daily prayer rhythm. Every one of the Gospels contains descriptions of Jesus withdrawing from his activities at set times of prayer. So what might this look like? Um, Tyler Statton, who wrote this book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, highly recommend, has a suggestion for how to use morning, afternoon, and evening prayer times. So he dedicates the morning to walking through the Lord's Prayer in a very thematic way. So, so, you know, he might be praying, you know, give us this day our daily bread, and then in space, that might be a place where he offers other petitions. So he walks through it, and he, he rests in certain spaces to be able to combine his heart's cry. And then in the afternoon, he steps away from whatever he is doing in the workday um, to, to stop and pray for the lost. This is where he just intercedes for the lost. And then the evening time, he offers up prayers of gratitude, and he bases them off of a practice called the Deenu. And so I'm going to show you a picture of, um, this is our missional community, and we were actually meeting in a, the room behind this screen, and so um, Jeannie and Matthew Roars lead our community, and they arranged for us to practice a Passover Seder together. And it was this powerful experience of um, walking through an ancient um, celebratory meal. And part of that was that we practiced the Danu, which is a reading and response time that references different historical moments that the Israelites experienced, from being freed um, from slavery in Israel, or in Egypt, excuse me, to the building of the temple in Israel. So after one person reads a line, everybody would respond, it would have been enough. So it might be something like this. If he had taken us out of Egypt and not made judgments on them, it would have been enough, right? It would have been enough. It's this heart posture of acknowledging that God goes so far above and beyond. And so Tyler in his book says, a modern translation of the Deenu might just be, thank you God for overdoing it. And here's what a prayer might sound like. God, today lunch would have been enough, but you provided me with the resources to choose the type of food I wanted to eat and the options to pick from. God, lunch of my choice would have been enough, but you created a world of flavor and spice and culture to make food more than fuel, to offer it as artistic and delicious. God, a delicious lunch of my choice would have been enough, but you gave me a coworker to share in conversation with over that food. Thank you, God, for overdoing it. It's a way for us to thank God for the lavish ways he overdoes it for us daily. Steve Jager, who leads our congregation in spiritual formation, but also models it so richly in his own life, has a fixed hour of prayer practice as well. 
So he sets his iPhone alarm to remind him to stop throughout the day for prayer. And for his prayer time, he uses devotionals from the common book of prayer to guide him. So there's so many different ways that you could incorporate this practice into your life. But the strength of the practice is the regularity and the commitment to stop at fixed times and to reorient yourself to God in the midst of the day. The last practice that I want to share with you this morning um, is something called listening intercession. And I actually want to close this morning with us doing this practice together. And then when I'm finished, Pastor Brandon's going to come up and lead us in a time of communion. So this particular ritual of listening intercession has become powerful in my life, deepening my connection to God. And it's this method of lifting people before God in a way that involves listening to the Holy Spirit. It's a really good way to start to tune your ear to the Father's voice. It's like a first-step listening prayer practice that could then lead to deep, deeper practices of listening prayer. So the guide we're going to use today was created by author Ruth Haley Barton. She calls it, I Hold in Your Healing Presence Prayer. And I'm going to name a category of people, and then we'll just have some room for silence. And in the silence, allow God to bring names or faces to your mind, and as he does, lift them in prayer to him. And then after a few moments of silent prayer, I will um, say a response. May they know the deep peace of Christ. And then I'll read the next category. So if you will close your eyes, hold open your hands if you so choose, and we will close this time together in this practice of listening intercession. So Lord God, we come to you and we hold in your healing presence those who suffer pain and ill health. May they know the deep peace of Christ. And we come to you and we hold in your healing presence those who suffer in mind and in spirit. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Lord, we come to you and we hold in your healing presence those who suffer hurt or pain and division, including places of hurt and division in our own lives. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Lord, we come to you and we hold in your healing presence those who are experiencing grief and loss.
may they know the deep peace of Christ. And Lord, we lift before you those who are in need of wisdom for their next steps. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Lord, we hold in your healing presence people and situations that seem broken and beyond repair. May they know the deep peace of Christ. And lastly, Lord, we bring to you those whose needs are not known to us, but are known to you. May they know the deep peace of Christ. And now, glory to God, from whom all love flows. Glory to Jesus, who showed his love through suffering. And glory to the Holy Spirit, who brings light into the darkest places. Amen.